Hello everyone, I'm Abhinav Jant, and this is the Real Abhinav Audio Experience. Welcome to the Real Abhinav Audio Experience. This is your host, Abhinav Jan, and I aspire to make this podcast go beyond the surface. In this podcast, I intend to bring you insights from the topmost performers, no matter what industry they're in. We talk about how they've done things differently to grow their minds and keep their physical and mental health in shape. My mission with this podcast is to help overwhelmed individuals learn ways to reduce their depression, anxiety, and live with peace and love. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Blossom Media Studio. Thank you so much for creating and distributing my podcast and taking away literally every single thing that's involved with podcasting so I can just spend the time to talk to my guests and create great episodes. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. Today, I have guest with me, Yermi Kirkus. Welcome. How are you? Thank you, Abhinav. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining. Things are good, man. Not bad. Just finishing up a couple of meetings today. And then I have my conversation with you, which I'm super excited for. We met off of LinkedIn, another great platform that is really blowing up right now. And I'm just glad to have this opportunity with you. You definitely have an amazing story. For those of our listeners that know the podcast, we had another guest on several episodes ago who recommended Yermi to me, uh, Michaela, right? So that's how we met. So appreciate you kind of taking the time to join me today. You know, I want to start out with this. So I understand that you have a mindfulness practice that you help people with, making it more practical and to help people, especially in the workplace. And of course, you have a background uh, that started from helping people in the prison system that I understand about. Mm -hmm. But before we go into any of that, tell me what it is that you wanted to be when you were a kid. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah. So that was interesting. So I was very, very lucky to have an incredible mother who was very mindful. And that's, I guess, where the mindfulness comes from. It's that my mom never asked us, you know, what do we want to be when we grow up? (laughs) Yeah, never. Um, She always used to ask us the question in a different kind of way, where she asked us, what problem would you like to solve when you grow up? Hmm. And I remember that striking me as a little kid. I mean, like, what's what problems? I mean, you know, what problems already do kids have? Like, I didn't get a cookie last night. That was maybe <laughs> like the biggest problem I've ever had or something. Right. You know? But it did open up my eyes to, you know, what are potential problems around the world? So I always found it very intriguing to help out people. And when I heard that you can make a living out of helping out people, that was really interesting to me. So that's a long answer to how I wanted to be a doctor when I grew Ah. up. So, so I thought I was going to be a cardiologist actually. Gotcha. Well, that's great. I mean, I think the heart health is very important on on the physical sense, but I think you're helping people with their heart and, and their mind a lot more in a metaphysical sense, I don't know, psychologically, however you want to call it. So that's cool. You know, I think I'm glad that you're still kind of in the field of helping people. You seem to have had that intention from the get-go. When we talked last, I think I was hearing that you, you wanted to be part of, uh, in, in a way, of service to others and find a way to make a living doing that. And it seems like you figured out exactly that. So let's dive in a little bit into your story as to like how you got into this space, specifically around one thing that you called out to me last time we were briefly mentioning 
our conversation is you had a pretty crazy last decade that pretty much has brought you to where you are today. Tell the audience about that 10, those 10 days that you had that were just full of all kinds of things going upside down in your life. Sure. Let's start there. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I did try to get into the medical world. I took steps to get in there. And by the time I got to uh, pre-med, mm-hmm. I right away realized that this is not really for me. And when I dropped out, my parents were very much like, they don't like things to be half done. So, you know, like, don't drop out. You know, you can't give up on your dreams, that kind of thing. So I went to become a paramedic. I volunteered as a paramedic. But that kind of sealed the deal for me and said, this is really not for me. And medicine was just not my thing. Is it the Um, blood? So not that much, actually. Well, there were there were a few other blood related situations which for I me that was it because I was like I'm not going to be uh, a doctor I'll pass out this <laughs> <laughs> is not going to work. <laughs> but yeah, just there was a bunch of other reasons why just medicine was just not really doing it for me the way I thought it was going to be. Mm. I always did want to help people, but I didn't know yet how to do that, and so I reverted back to something I already knew which was business. I grew up in an entrepreneur family and business was just the thing. And so one thing led to another in 2010 at really kind of the business was growing. It was just about booming. And my wife at the time decides to leave me, take away the kids. It was very, very dramatic. And a few days later, my mom dies. And then a few days after that, the government forces down, you know, forces my business to shut down. And so there was just all these craziness happening in 10 days. And yeah, so I fell into a very deep level of depression. As I was trying to sort of get out of it, so I reach out to heaven or whatever's up there at that point. I didn't know what it was. And I said, and I said, hey, you, whoever's up there, you did this, you fix it. So mm. like, I, I just kind of like, you know, that, that expression of let go, let God. So it's very much that kind of thing without knowing it at the time, but that's kind of what, what happened. And so I, so yeah, so that was really, that was really kind of like that ultimate lowest point. So and and when around. that was going on, first of all, I want to hear a little bit more. So when, your mom passed away. Was that something that was completely unexpected or did she have an ongoing condition that she was going through? And then, and then she had this departure, like what happened there? Right. So she was diagnosed with cancer um, five years or so, just a little bit over five years before, before she died. Hmm. But for some reason she kept that a secret from us. So we did not Hmm. know until much later on. And at the time when I personally found out, I had to be dealing with marriage that was collapsing, which the marriage collapsing also was very sudden. It was a matter of like two, three weeks hmm. from, I love you so much. And we, you know, every couple has, has their hardships and everything. We are, we're going to get over this and we're going to fix it. And you know, all that kind of stuff to suddenly getting a text message, get out of the house kind of thing. Wow. So yeah. So kind of finding myself in a sense, homeless, needing to kind of like jump from friend to friend, you know, on couches and stuff. So 
I was so busy, you know, trying to save my own marriage. And all of a sudden I'm finding out that my mother's collapsing, you know, with, with, um, with uh, seizures and stuff. So I had to kind of make a decision on what is priority? Who do I, who, who do I sort of give my, all my attention to? So running around between hospitals or, or kind of saving my long-term relationship with the person who should be around me for the rest of my life. So that was a very difficult decision to make and trying to find that balance between saving my marriage and, you know, being there for my mom. Right. It was a very difficult time. It was very confusing to be. So, and how did the business that you had also get shut down during this? Anything you could share about that? Yeah. So, I mean, so the way it works in not America, (laughs) outside of America. Where were you then? That government. I was in Canada. Canada. So, yeah. So without going into too many details. That's fine. There were certain aspects of the business that without me knowing were, were not, were not, let's say to the, to the full extent of what, what they, what, what their requirements were to operate a business. I thought I was doing them a favor in Mm. the sense of how I was operating the business, but it gets complicated when, when you get to the intrinsic details and when I hired the lawyer, so all this again is happening with saving a marriage, saving, you know, being there with my mom um, and then the business. And I hired a lawyer saying, you know, help me just, just you take care of it. Cause I'm dealing with all this other garbage right now, but you take care of this. And he was just like, pay the fine and shut down the business because it's just easier. So otherwise we would have, you know, I would have found a more legal and more appropriate way to do it. Mm. But just there, there just wasn't, my mind just wasn't there. Definitely not, not to fight this whole thing. I've got a quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could take one minute of your time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way and I'd really, really, really appreciate it. If you've already done that, thank you again. Please share this episode with someone you know, a friend or family member, download the episode or share the link, whatever works for you. Now let's get back to it. Goodness, I mean, that's just so much to handle for anyone, let alone one person to handle all three at once. You know, talk about taking all the, all the you know, pretty much your legs have been taken out from under you. You're, you're, you know, you have nowhere to walk, nowhere to go at this point. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I'm very close to my mother and that was one of the things that I end up continuously ruminating over actually several years ago when I was very much on a low point in my life, definitely not in comparison to what you went through, but I remember deeply being very, you know, I never dealt with the emotion of what would it be like when my parents passed away. And I think it started to become very real to me that there's this mortality piece to our humanity. And I think we all know it, but you know, if you really don't face it with any level of strength, I think it's, it doesn't quite set in until the moment arrives. But for me, for whatever reason, maybe just the state I was in emotionally at the time and, and uh, psychologically, everything seemed much larger than it had to have been. And so that's when I really remembered contemplating a lot about, you know, what would it be like for my mom to not be here and what is what role she's played in my life. And, and it was very interesting, like how I was trying to figure out to move forward, I have to be slightly different than where I've been in the past. Otherwise... I'm going to be in the same position again. 
Now, someone that comes to what you went through, I don't know what you were like before that moment, but when that took place, all these three events, you know, talk to me about what happened with you inside and, and how you started to feel, you know, give me more of like the, the spiral that went, went down, you know, what kind of things that you figured out you didn't know that you had to deal with? Like, did you have coping mechanisms? You mentioned your mother taught you mindfulness at a young age, but did those help come or did they come to serve you at that time? Or, you know, like give me some, some background as to what was going on with you. Sure. Wow. So I've literally never been asked that question. And well, this that's is a good. First, so thank you. <laughs> thank you for that one. Yeah. So the audience is in for a surprise on this one. <laughs> but, um, but I, I found, I found extreme deep levels of anger that I never knew I had. Mm-hmm. And I think the way I expressed, I expressed, and I kind of still do. And, and, you know, that's something that I still struggle with. And, that I work, I work with, I work on, mm-hmm. but it was th- at that time that I've identified this level of anger that I had within me. So I'm not the one that generally gets hurt so fast. So that's something that I developed way at a young age, you know, growing up bullied and stuff like that. So I developed, I developed coping mechanisms around hurt, uh, sadness, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. But what, but when these big, big situations happened all in one shot, that's when I've identified this sleeping anger, as, as one therapist called it. So my anger sort of manifests itself in a very, very deep undercover kind of way. So I could be looking at you just regular and everything, and you would not know that I'm angry. Hmm. But deep down, I'm burning and exploding in anger. And it's just this like, this like deep anger. So not something that I, that I express outward. And I become very quiet. I become very reserved. I, I just become this other person and very, very shut down. But what I'm, I'm feeling inside is this anger. So that is exactly what I was feeling at that time. And that anger lasted for almost two years after that situation. And, and it's really through the therapy that, you know, we've identified it and through the therapy is kind of what we worked through. And, and the only thing that was really mindful that I took from my mother during that time. So I did spend the last week or so with her. I spent a lot of time with her, just sitting with her and trying to communicate with her. Um, She was at a point where she, she no longer was able to communicate. The illness already took away her ability to speak and to communicate effectively. And I'm a very intuitive kind of person. And so I was perhaps the only person in our family that was actually able to make out basics of what she was trying to say. And, you know, the only way I knew that I was doing something right was by her nodding. So, so that was, so we developed this deep connection in the last in the last week that was only unique to us too so that's something that i think was a gift to me to take on for the rest of my life that i still had that opportunity with my mom which was very unique but the only thing that at that time that i was able to take from her was a lesson that she taught me that came from victor frankel to find meaning in life yes so 
So she was encouraging me to go find some volunteer opportunities just to kind of get through the hardship. So like kind of like get your mind off, mm. you know, whatever's happening, you know, and I say that in quotations because she kind of encouraged me to, you know, go out and, and not get distracted, but kind of like find a purpose and meaning in life, which I was only able to do a little bit after that because I was just such in a bad place. Right. Uh, but it kept on in my mind to always say, look for meaning, look for meaning, look for meaning. I mean, at that stage, the only parallel I can pull is, I remember when I was at my lowest point, I think it was very hard to even, first off, to sleep at night, second, mm -hmm. to wake up in the morning and have any reason to want to get up and do the same mundane yeah. things. I felt that I was purely incapable of taking care of myself, even the smallest things like making breakfast for myself or just eating mm -hmm. nutritional like food or anything like that. Did any of that transpire with your experience as well or anything that yeah. you could share around like kind of, because, you know, I don't want to graze over some of these details because a lot of people, when they struggle, this is the stuff that no one talks about is. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important that you're mentioning that. And, and wow, it's like, again, this is all first for me since, since the situation. And, you know, yeah, I had, I had insomnia for about 18 months or 19 months at a real clinical, you know, at a clinical level, hmm. which means like, like I really couldn't sleep and they tried giving me sleeping pills. And at some point I built an you know, I built a, a tolerance for the sleeping pills. So even that wasn't working at some point, you know, I'm a very deep thinker. So my mind is just racing a million miles an hour. Right. And again, that point, I'm just angry. I'm just cursing out everything. Growing up in the Jewish Orthodox community, just being angry at the community, being angry at God, being angry at spirituality, being angry at just being angry at, you name it, I was angry at it. And that was keeping me up at night. And so definitely there were, you know, there was all that struggle that was going on and I couldn't function. And actually, and I was going through a bunch of therapists at the time. I had a phenomenal, phenomenal support system. That is, that is definitely a gift that I had and I will never, you know, like, like that's something I'm always grateful for. Yeah. And so my rabbi and, you know, a certain therapist that I was involved with, part of our community, so they were, they were trying to get me in front of all these different therapists that could help me. One therapist suggested, you know, I take care of fish, you know, like they got me like, like goldfish or whatever it was. And throughout that period of time, as you said, I couldn't even take care of myself. I had a friend who lived in a, I mean, who worked in a bakery that at the end of the day, he would just bring me some, some bread just so that I could eat. So he literally had to come force feed me. Hmm. And I went through two fish and a bird. So I killed two fish and a bird, unfortunately, just because I couldn't take care of them. I could hardly feed myself. I could hardly feed them. And then I told everybody, stop bringing me animals and stop bringing me things to take care of. You know, <laughs> I don't want to kill anything. Right. You know? But yeah, I needed, I needed a lot of help. And, and, you know, it was a very, it was a crazy journey during that 18, 18 months, almost two years getting over from, you know, 2010 till the end of 2011, December of 2011. And that's sort of when I started searching for 
purpose and meaning. Right. So what, at what point did you start to see this light of hope once again, perhaps, and maybe showing you the path that, you know, I, I, I can't keep being like this. I need to find a way to get out of this. And now you're searching for meaning and perhaps even for your, you know, self-discovery again and figuring out who you are once again, you know, because I'm sure all the different ideas that you had about yourself up until that point had somewhat disseminated because of how your belief systems were and what happened, which always helps, well, helps or hinders us. It, it really makes us question what we believe no matter what, because the ideas that we had, maybe we're not going to be serving us moving forward. So talk to me about that sort of re reintroduction of, uh, you know, meaning in your life. Like how did that begin and yeah. what was that journey like? in its initial phases, what does that even start with for you? Sure. So, so this is also a part of story that I'm not usually, I don't usually share as much, but it got to such a point where my reputation was shot at this point. And, and, and as I said, I grew up in a community. Would it be I worth had, asking, sorry, would it be worth mentioning like what it was you were doing at that time? Like, I know you mentioned you were having a business, but that got shut down. But where were you at that mm -hmm. time? Were you straight out of school at that time? Were you, you know, mm. working for several years? Like, what were you up to when all this took place? I guess I right. should have answered so, asked that before. Yeah. No, great question, actually. Something I actually do a lot in the coaching that I do now is that I, that I sort of encourage people, perhaps the best advice I ever got from my father was that 80% of college students don't end up using their college degree. Hmm. They end up either dropping out, you know, miserable, not happy with their jobs, whatever it is. And so not many of my family members are college educated. They're all, they're all entrepreneurs. They're all business people. And they actually frown upon education. Hmm. So literally my uncle and I are the only two people in our family that are educated. Well, our school system uh, isn't designed to make entrepreneurs, so I can understand yeah. why. Sure. And yeah, my father was kind of like, why are you going to give money to a bunch of people who are telling you um, how to run a business? You know, like, I don't get it, you know? So that was, that was his approach. And when he saw how adamant I was and I said, Hey, you know, how can I be a doctor without going to school? You know? Mm. So that he was okay with, but he wasn't okay when I went to business school. So to go get a marketing degree, um, he was super against that part. I won't get into the part when I decided to go into psychology and, and organizational psychology, like the psychology of businesses that he totally didn't understand. But you did um, complete that. I did. I completed, I completed my, you know, my, my bachelor in, in marketing. I completed the psychology. I completed all those. I definitely did. We'll talk about uh, why was that was important in your story. <laughs> yes. And so, but the point was that one thing that I really took away from my dad was he said, okay, but let me do this. I will not support you through school. You're going to have to figure that out. And in our family, debt is considered a terrible thing. You know, you never, like, just, just don't be in debt and, you know, figure out a way to support your way through college. Mm. So I started up the business in order to support my way through college. You know, I never had, I never had student loans. You know, I never... I mean, I used them just to get through school, but I paid it off immediately, you know, and, and that's it. So thank God, no student loans. And so that's how I started up the business was to 
was to operate while I was in school. So I was still in school at all this time was happening. Got it. So that's good information to know. So now let's walk forward from you have your 10 days of terror, as I've aptly mm-hmm. named it. It's terrible, but it's, yeah. it happened. And now you're <laughs> yeah. 18 months into depression and anxiety and anger thoughts and not really being able to take care of yourself. But you still mm-hmm. chose to go the route of exploring the self and finding meaning in life again. Mm-hmm. So help me understand what that was like for you, kind of introducing yourself back into society. You said your reputation was shot. I would like to yeah. hear what that meant for you. and Because, I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of us are very much attached to our reputation in life and in culture. Sure. So, you know, what was that like? So, yeah. So I'll share with you what that was like, and then I'll share with you the lesson that I learned from it. So... What it was like was that I literally couldn't walk on the street without being called names and, you know, getting yelled at or whatever within the community. It was very, very bad. Hmm. And so I did my best. to. I, so I always was a kind of person that faces my fear. You know, as I told you, growing up bullied, I never allowed the bullies take me over. I was still in their face and I was still there. I'll take the punch, but I'll, you know, <laughs> you can punch me till you stop punching me kind of thing, you know? So I kept on walking the streets all the time. I would do my daily walks, put my iPod in. Back then there was iPods, you know? I remember. (laughs) (laughs) I had my iPod in my ears at full blast, you know? You guys could scream out names. I don't hear you. I'm just listening to my music. And that's sort of, so I used to do that daily. But it does get to a point where I'm malnourished. I was not healthy at all. You know, my mind is just so exploding in anger and hatred at this point. And I just hated everything that my life has become because I so badly just wanted to be that good person who helps people. And so and so at this point, you know, I'm also sleep deprived. So you're not really thinking straight and all that. I came to a point of suicide. So Mm. that's really where it was. So I was starting to contemplate the suicidal thoughts and as I'm about to sort of plan out this, so the suicide was pretty much planned out, but I was planning out the execution parts. So how and when, and you know, the, the, the more interesting, the more, the more detailed part of it. And that's when it occurred to me, I was like, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, it doesn't make sense that, that God would go through all the trouble of bringing me into this world for, you know, what is it? I think it was 23 years of life at that time. Just for me to end it this way. It just didn't make sense to me that all my life, and this is how it ends. Hmm. There had to be something bigger and there had to be something greater. And that's the point when I just kind of like yelled out and said, hey, you, whoever you're there and whoever is up there, you did this and you created it, which you know, the lesson is, is that, you know, deeply what I was saying is, is that I believe you have a bigger picture in mind. And this is like what I'm telling, uh, you know, I guess God or whatever. If you had me go through all these hardships and all through all these difficulties, the abuse growing up, the bullying, the, you know, you know, the difficult wife, the, the mother dying, the, you know, just everything, all these steps had some kind of reason that I still don't know the answer to what it is at the time. So take me on the journey, you know, and then pretty much I'm giving myself over because at this point I'm already ready to die. I'm ready to like, I'm, I'm totally collapsed. I'm totally broken. My reputation is shot. Everything is shot. I'm at the lowest of the low. Now what? 
you know? Mm. What else do you have in mind, God, you know? And, and this is all like subconsciously, the lessons I learned afterwards, this is what I felt I was saying. Kind of like, this is the most rock bottom you can get, and it only could go up from here. So I'm ready to climb the ladder now. So God, what's that next step? Mm. That was ultimately, that was ultimately that, you know, that point. And it was also the turning point at the exact same time. That's what was interesting. Like the moment you make that decision in your mind that I'm done suffering, I'm done victimizing myself. Now I'm ready to, you know, to, to build from here or to grow from here. So as I said, I used to take a lot of walks and I decided to go walk out this, this really crazy prayer situation, you know, this emotional moment, deciding also not to commit suicide. Hmm. That was a very big decision. I'm glad. Um, yeah, right. Thank God. So I decided to take a walk around the block just to kind of chill out. And it was on that walk around the block that I bumped into a buddy of mine who I haven't seen in a while. We catch up. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? And, you know, he was nice to me. And that was odd to me at that time. Um, and so and so we find out, I find out uh, that he works in the prisons and that he's an advocate and he does all this incredible work in the prisons. And it occurred to me, I was like, wow, I just want to be a of service. I want to be, you know, to find some kind of meaning. Um, and, and working in the prisons, you know, these are people who are, you know, locked up for, I don't know how long, some of them for life. Um, it's going to give me perspective. And if I could be of service to them, that would be cool. So I asked him, you know, are there any volunteer opportunities? I just want to give myself my time for free. What, what, you know, what is there? What's available? And that's, and that's how he said, yeah, for sure. Actually, we are looking for one rabbi right now. Would you like to take on this position? And that's, that's how that all started. Right. And so you really took your mom's advice very seriously in the last week when she was trying to communicate to you to find ways of serving and, mm -hmm. and kind of getting out of your own situation because she knew that this was you know, going to be very tough on you. And, sure. you know, knowing her son, she tried to give you the direction that she felt would be the most beneficial, which, you know, I'm glad she did. Similar to how you mentioned in my story, I would say, or in my past, when I was feeling the lowest, my mom helped me. You know, we were separated by distance. I was living in a different part of California, in the mm -hmm. Bay Area, and she's in Southern California. So we were, you know, separated by about 400 miles or so. So I didn't see her every day or anything like that. And I found that that was very challenging. One thing that she really put me towards for my, let's say, coming back story was really like to to set up a routine again. And that started with, for me, it was simple breathing exercises in the morning when I woke up rather mm -hmm. than, you know, I used to at a different point in my life be a bodybuilder. So I used to work out a lot. And at that point in my lowest stage in life, I had nothing, I didn't want anything to do with working out at all. I didn't want to do anything really. And so it was very tough to convince myself to do even the smallest thing. And then also like, you know, most people frown upon or don't understand what meditation is, the benefit of it. And why would you want to sit still for 20 minutes or whatever and not do anything? That sounds ludicrous. And how can that possibly help me? Right. So I had all those kinds of premeditated or preconditioned thoughts. And uh, I only found the benefit of doing something by doing it and seeing how the results would kind of fare out over time. So I'm curious, now that you started working with your friend who introduced you to the prison system, you're helping these people out, 
at any point in this journey that you were on volunteering, did you notice that you were prone to relapsing into your very negative low state? And, and, if, and if you did, you know, what was kind of your framework? And I'm sure this developed over time to be a stronger, you know, process for you to get out of. But whenever you did, I'm going to use the word relapse, but and it's usually used for drug addiction. But I'm saying in terms of negative emotion, I do feel that, you know, we tend to have this comparative mechanism in our mind where it will always compare the current situation to something that you might know of as a reference in the past or in some mm-hmm. sort of hypothetical future. So I think, yeah, tell me about that. What was that like? Were you kind of steer clearing from, steer clear from that once you started volunteering or did you notice that at times, mm-hmm. you know, you were kind of relapsing into that state again of being very low? Yeah, so definitely. And relapse is actually the perfect word so something I, you know, let, let's go back into that 18 months. Mm. So one of my rabbis suggested that I go join AA. He suggested that I join AA and I'm like, I never drank in my life. Mm. Okay. And I, I don't never took drugs, let alone, I've never even smoked in my life. Not even once. Um, all also thanks to my mom. <laughs> That's just how she raised us. But, but I mean, I mean, what, what connection AA to me and like, what's that going to help me? And he told me you're, you're addicted to anger. Hmm. That's what you're addicted to. And you have to, you have to break that addiction. You have to break that pattern. Hmm. In the beginning, it took me a lot. Like it was really difficult for me to connect. These people are talking about, you know, drinking and drugs and all that kind of stuff that I never did. And, you know, I actually started learning. I, I learned more about drugs and addiction in the in the rooms than I've ever knew in my life. And so at some point I just I did drop out of that. But it's in the prisons that I sort of rejoined, if we will, if you know, if you will, because where they needed more help was in their AA program. So because I had some level of exposure to AA, and at this point I kind of joined I started studying psychology. So I was like, oh, great, I could, I could sort of, you know, work alongside the AA program and, and at the same time also benefit a little bit for myself. And, and again, throughout this entire time, I was really in therapy. I was working through myself mm-hmm. all this time. And, and I, I did. I relapsed about three times, getting to that suicidal level, that, that, that anger, that, that despair, that, you know. And... And it, it was, you know, it was, it was very difficult. So we definitely have those ups and downs. And it was a journey to identify where is the point where it's, let's say, at the peak and it's starting to go down. Mm. So the inflection would point. Find it, but yeah, I would find it whenever I'm already at the, at the down point. But I was, now, I was now trying to identify the point where it's that it's, I'm at my peak and I'm starting to get that little, yeah. that little downer mm. uh, which till today I still I still feel it but I know to identify it right away now um, thanks to tools and thanks to different things but yeah there's definitely this relapse situation despite despite doing this amazing phenomenal work and all that stuff but there was there was a personal journey that I still had to go through and I think that really is what I wanted to kind of get into the core of is that like where you are today, by no means is that like to take away, like it's great where you are today, but it's not really fully there unless we understand where you've been and sure. what kind of 
grants you the ability to do what you are doing now. It really is tied to your past and it really is tied to how you've really coped with certain things that are very, very tough. And most of us never are taught how to deal with any of this stuff, right? Like we're not really taught in school how to deal with bad emotions. You know, you'd be lucky if you had parents that couldn't, could deal with their own negative emotions, let alone teach you how to do it and do it in a way where it would actually work. You know, so there's a lot to be said about that. And I kind of wanted to spend the first time, you know, whatever amount of time that we've been on, really going into this before moving on into some of the other parts of your life and your journey, especially around like the practices that you've built. But I didn't want this to be you know, going unnoticed because those are some things that I feel people that struggle find often that they think that they're alone in all of this. They don't have anybody else that could potentially understand. And I think a couple of things that I would lay parallel as a theme in your story and perhaps in mine and others that I've spoken to is you always need help from the outside. You know, it's not going to be all that you can do it by yourself. It just doesn't work that way. It's like we're as human beings, when we get kind of caught in a weird loop, we need sort of like a someone third party to help us see what we don't see. And, Mm. you know, first off, we have to be willing, right? Like you mentioned for the first number of months, you just weren't really even in a good place. You were very angry. You weren't really able to process what's going on, not take care of yourself. And you didn't, and you didn't, you didn't want to eat. You had your friend come through to help you eat. You know, I'm thankful that for that friend at that moment in time, you know, you're probably looking back and you're like, wow, this is, that's a real friend right there to actually come through when I really need it. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle through, especially today, being so connected as we are with social media, but so empty inside still because we don't really have that depth of relationship. We don't have people that we can actually communicate to about our lower states in life and about these sorts of ups and downs. You know, I want to shift the conversation a little bit towards, I want to go into tools and techniques, but perhaps before we go into that, I'd be curious to have you talk a little bit about, I remember there was a notable story in your time that you spent with the prison system that really solidified Mm -hmm. for you this journey of making a lifestyle by helping people, especially, you know, taking into consideration that you had a background in operational psychology. Is that, am I saying mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. I think organizational. You, organizational. Yeah. I always confuse yeah. the two, no, but no. organizational uh, psychology, which, you know, I don't fully understand the the scope of that, but I'd love to hear what mm-hmm. that's like. And maybe you can share with us the story that really helped you solidify that you wanted to go into this field for good, which is helping people and being a coach to them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, so that is, and it really actually ties into everything you literally just said. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one thing, one part of the tools is to really build strong and deep relationships. If there was, if there was let's say, one thing that I could, I could really boil down is that, is that I, was, I was just naturally a, a child or a person, you know, throughout my entire life. I valued relationships to an extreme level. You know, maybe my former wife will not agree to that, but <laughs> you know, that that's why that's why my divorce meant so much to me. You know, that's why I was able to connect to my mom when nobody else was able to connect with her. I had these incredible friends that were that were lifesavers. I mean, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for them. You know, throughout my life these deep relationships that I was able to establish, you know, I have, I had a best friend that was my best friend for 23 years, mm-hmm. you know, super close, you know, 
like like the ability of the well the importance that I put into establishing these deep relationships was definitely my lifesaver. So that that's one point that I have to make before going into the next step. And you know, let's fast forward to this, you know, to this story in the prisons. At some point I I created this program called One Up, which helps these, you know, these inmates find purpose and meaning in life. Because that's ultimately what helped me. And I figured, you know, how do I help them find purpose and meaning in their life in these kind of situations? So let's call it success is when people in the prison are comfortable, if for the lack of better words, or more accepting of their situation and finding, finding things to do within the prison system, let's say for those who are going to be there for the rest of their life, and for those who are going to come out to find meaningful, you know, professions when they leave the prison. So there was always a level of business to what I was doing, you know, help them find jobs and help them find, you know, different, different things that they could do within the prison and beyond if they are ever going to reach that beyond and, and how to build them and make them ready for that. Hmm. So it was a 90 day program that, that was eventually over time developed. So at one point uh, there was this, this young guy, he lands in prison for the rest of his life. He's never going to come out in his early, early twenties. And he commits a horrific crime that he was under the influence of drugs. But again, that never, that never, you know, excuses why, you know, what he did. And by the time he sobers up, he realizes what happened and where he's going to be for the rest of his life. And he falls into a very deep depression. Through his friends and through people that he knew in the prison, they suggested he come take this program, this 90 day program. And so he joins the program and he completes it and he sort of what we call graduates it. I want to take another quick moment to thank our sponsors, Podcast Backdrops. If you do any kind of video content or pictures online or you're doing any sort of selling over Zoom calls, you really need to check them out because it will make you look professional from the get-go. Having your brand, your logo, and what you're all about behind you, hiding all your clutter, makes you look so much more professional when you put yourself out there on the internet. So check out Podcast Backdrops if you want to level up your game. And I always follow up with these people. As I said, I, I, est- I establish relationships and I care about that. So I kept, up, I kept in touch with him and asking him, how's he doing? What's going on? Uh, turns out that he figures out a way to, to live his dream. And he came from a family of bankers and, and, you know, finance stuff. And he figures out a way to become a financial advisor you know, get a degree in finance. Hmm. Now, anybody who knows in finance knows that one of the hardest, like it's almost impossible for any convicted felon to be a licensed, you know, finance person. So this goes against everything. I don't know how he does this legally. So I don't, that I don't have the answer to, but he figured out a way to be of service to the inmates and their families you know, helping them with finance in in one way or another, maybe just advising them, maybe coaching them. I don't know exactly how he does it, but he figures out a a way to do this business. And then the last I find out is that now he's teaching these, you know, these degrees in finance and, and, you know, money and stuff. 
and he's either hiring or sort of telling, teaching them how to do the, what he's doing. And that's the moment when I look at this guy and I'm like, oh my goodness, like there are people that I know, as I said, I grew up in, in entrepreneurs, you know, everybody I know are entrepreneurs. At this point, I've already had three businesses of my own and, you know, nobody I know lives half the life that this guy lives and he's, and they're not as happy as this guy and as fulfilled as this guy. And this guy has literally done the impossible and he's thriving. And that's when it kind of sat to me. And I was like, like, how, like, like, why, you know, I love what I'm doing and it's great what I'm doing in the prisons, but there are other people outside who are really, really struggling. And I have to figure out a way to sort of be of service to them. And there was one more part to that story that, you know, that it occurred to me as I was saying it, what really, really also was another push was another person. And I think that's thanks to you, Abinata, because if I wouldn't, like, if I didn't, I wouldn't have made a connection between these two stories had it not been through that, you know, lengthy introduction in a sense. <laughs> I was very, very close to somebody and I haven't been back to Montreal in a very, very long time. And I was there and I just kind of like went to see as many people as I could. I was only going to be there for a couple of days. And so I tried connecting with as many people as I could. And this one guy tells me, you know, I'm so grateful that you came to visit me. I said, what's up? So I know that he's, you know, an entrepreneur, great businessman, does amazing, phenomenal stuff. And I was asking him, by the way, how's the business going? And he was at a low point. And he came to a point of suicide as well. He was planning suicide. And he said, you know, right before he was planning suicide, he was planning like, like a suicide note in, in a sense. And he was about to, to publicize it to the world. And he was deciding where was he going to publicize it. So he goes on LinkedIn, he goes on Facebook, he goes on a bunch of, you know, platforms. And on every single platform, he saw some kind of post that I posted. And then he, you know, it just occurs to him and he's like, whoa, this guy, you know, like I knew him for all these years and he went through all this stuff and look at what he's doing now and look at, you know, look, look at his life today. Now he had no idea that I was suicidal, but he's like, that stopped me and that mm -hmm. turned me around and that said, I could do this. And so those two stories combined, which happened, you know, very, very close to each other. I was like, I owe this to my people. Right. I really owe this to my people. And, and it occurs to me that like, this is coming up on 2019, 2018, 2019. We're coming up to 2020 at this point. And I'm like, this was 10 years ago. And this is like the Malcolm Gladwell moment that I call it like the 10,000 hours, the 10,000, the 10 years kind of thing. I became an expert, according to Malcolm Gladwell, in pain and in relieving that pain. And I owe this to my business professionals. Hmm. And that's when the idea started building in my mind to transition from the prisons into the business world, still not sure exactly how I was going to do that. That was going to be a little journey of its own as well. But you know, but that, that was that pivotal moment when I decided to change. That's so important though, to call out because 
you mentioned that one-up program that you had created to help people see, you know, how they could potentially make themselves better. And you here you are in the prison system where you land after your, you know, crazy series of events, but you find mm -hmm. someone who takes what you're, you know, perhaps teaching or, or explaining to them how to, you know, use, takes it, runs with it, makes himself very, you know, different, you know, kind of transforms his life, let's call it. That tied with people seeing what you're putting out there and some of them actually knowing your background. And it's mm. funny because a lot of times social media is such a weird thing. You, you think that it doesn't really hit people's eyes or attention. And, you know, just because we, we have all these vanity metrics that may not confirm what's happening. But it's incredible that you were able to impact without even knowing someone else's decision to not end their life. And that really is... Mm. You know, at, at, at a very deep level, that's that's really what, you know, we need each other for in life. That's what humans yeah. need each other for, really. It's it's to continue to survive mm -hmm. and to continue to keep on living. Because right. if you were here by yourself, probably not the most fun thing, right? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> There's not much. Well, so mm -hmm. it's, it's not something that I think I would take lightly, you know. And we can certainly now walk into your story around how you took this momentum that you were feeling and then created what you created with your consulting practice uh, that you have, you know, yermikirkus.com. I've checked it out. You know, you can, anybody listening to this can visit that website today and sign up for a consultation with you, you know, and help us understand what it is that you have created and what we can expect, I guess, as a, as a consumer that's needing help and they come to you. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it was really interesting and, it took a little bit of time to sort of how does this one up that was built for, you know, prisoners mm. work for work for the business professional. And, you know, I think, I think we have this sort of like society kind of does this to us, I guess, where when you're a business professional, you, you have to kind of show, show this, I guess it's that fake it till you make it what people call it. So you kind of hide the struggle and you hide, you know, you, the last thing you want to tell people is that you're suicidal, you know? And then, and then when we suddenly hear of it, it's like, oh my God, did you hear what happened to that guy? You know? And, but like, I guess it's such a real thing. Hang on. That's such that a some nobody... topic that I think we should talk about is it's because <laughs> corporate world and just like work in general, I think it's, it's kind of ridiculous that we can't mm -hmm. be like the humans that we are. And we have to almost pretend to be something we're not. And mm. the amount of problems that stem from that itself, where people are faking to be something they're not, personality-wise, you're you're putting so many things under the rug that you should be dealing with, but sure. you're not because you're you're you know the sense of how I'm going to be perceived makes makes it way too mm -hmm. scary to like kind of talk about some of these things. And I've I've personally faced that. You know, I, I was at a point where I was like, I'm quitting my work because I don't think it's healthy for me long term. I'm still fairly young, and I was like. Sure. What what am I going to do? Work for money and like discard my own like soul crushing like emotions and stuff? Like what? That's not going to make any sense to me. Thankfully, I was I was aware enough to do that, but most people aren't, right? Like it's interesting that you did make the pivot towards corporate because not to make make it sound like it's a prison, but a lot of people are in prison in the corporate system. They just don't know yeah. it, right? So right. It's very interesting to me that you kind of made that pivot. So sorry to interrupt you there, but I just felt like I had to call that out. No, it's 100% right. And I mean, you know, I could literally talk hours just about that because that is a huge passion of mine. 
you know, the true purpose of social media, what social media should and, you know, what should look like kind of thing. There's like, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of disservice when we say that fake it till you make it. And there's, there's a level of truth to it, but there's a bigger part of this service to it. But that's literally a discussion for a whole other hour, a whole <laughs> other, you know, but you're hundred percent right. And, and that's actually a big part of what I was trying to consider when I was making that pivot, when I was making that turn. So I went from, as I was trying to get my master's in, in family therapy, that was actually because of relationships and how important they are to me. But that was the moment when I said, okay, I'm going to do a fast track and I'm going to go get that organizational psychology. So it's called organizational and industrial psychology, mm. otherwise also known as OI. And OI psychology is basically the psychology of organizations and industries. Uh, what makes up organizations? What makes up industries? What are the psychology side of things? What is the brain? Like, what's, what's the thought process? What's the, you know, typical organizational industrial psychologists, the typical of them become chief people officers in companies. So they become like, they become the people person in the company. You know, HR on steroids, if you will. You know, they're, they find, they know the behaviors of the business, of the industry, of the, you know, that's what they, that's what they focus on. Now, coming from the therapy side of things and coming from, you know, throughout the prison system, I was learning more about mindfulness, you know, coming with the AA stuff, just bringing it all and packaging it all into one. That took a little bit of a journey. And, and, and I decided to sort of test this idea. And so I reached out to a friend who I knew was very, very wealthy, did, does very well. And I knew that he was starting up a new program which I was sort of involved in piloting this program to help, you know, young people get into the business world and just kind of give them, so they're not doing too well in college and, you know, they're, they're kind of dropouts in a sense, but to give them a more, like to build an education system around hands-on, around hands-on experience, less theory and more practical. So I was one of the pilots of that program. And my approach was, okay, this is a great opportunity to see if my one-up program works here. Hmm. So I had, to, I had to sort of use one-up with another program, put them together, fuse them together. And what happened is that they were selling high-ticket items, which I think was their mistake, why they give somebody without any experience to sell something that difficult. But it was mind-blowing to see them become super successful. So in, in just five months, they went from $0 in sales to about $15 million in sales. And that was just pure mind-boggling. This is um, a company and, or an individual you're talking about? So this was a business. This was, so he owns a company, but mm. a small portion of his company was dedicated to this pilot program to see if it's even something that, that is worth you know, investing in and, and building and whatever. Long story, what ended up happening with that program, but it was, it was astonishing to learn the, the possibilities that came out of this program and the extreme, you know, the extreme success that was found thanks to, you know, thanks to one up and all these different approaches that we used. 
you know, I did later on find out that, you know, the product was not real because it was a test. It was just trying and it was like, so it was very, very discerning, you know, on my part, because I wanted the money to be real to encourage those kids, but it didn't work out. But mm. the point was that, you know, on paper, there were real contracts, you know, they were like, you know, I don't know how we got out of it at the end. I, I already left the program at that point, but, but it's like, how, how's that even, how, how was that even possible? Mm-hmm. And that was something I wanted sort of to replicate and try it again and try it again and see if that was, if that was even that doable in a real sense of the word. And that's when I told my bosses, okay, guys, you know, I gotta, I gotta move on. This is my plan. This is what I want to do. And thank you so much. I loved what I was doing. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And one day I'll be your donor, you know? <laughs> so, so that kind of situation. And as I left the, as I left my job, uh, three days later, COVID became official <sighs> and we were forced into lockdown. So Man. that's where I found myself at that point. <laughs> well, there's nothing short of, resilience in your story regardless of the time that you you know dissected at i mean it seems to me that you're someone that's just navigated through all different kinds of hurdles and i think that just tells me you know just hearing you talk about it with the state that you're in now i can only imagine you know what it's like when you're not in this mood but at the same time like i feel you've practiced enough to put yourself in a place where you can continue to be moving forward in your journey, regardless of the hurdles that have kind of faced and have come towards you. You know, I'd like to see if we can maybe navigate our discussion before we close for the day around how someone would potentially come to you to get help and like, where does it begin for that person? You know, maybe I mentioned we could try a role play if we, if that would make sense, but you know, we could just, walk me through like if someone listening to this is like okay this guy's definitely gone through a lot i'm definitely having struggles with some stuff and i want to come to him to see how i can uh, get some help you know what does that look like so someone goes to your com, books a time with you you know they're like okay i'm struggling i'm struggling to 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 make my dreams come true because i keep falling short i keep having to find that things that I do don't work out for me or I don't have motivation long enough to keep moving, you know, like common things that people struggle through, right? There's all these coaches out there that have imposter syndrome about being a coach because they might not have experienced enough in their life, but they have this passion to want to help other people, but they don't feel like they've had the the credibility perhaps, you know? So imagine if I'm one of those kind of people, you know, what can I expect when I come to you? How would we start? Yeah. So the very, very first thing is what I tell everybody is forget everything you've ever heard in your life. Literally just empty that mind out. You Mm. have to, you know, I I actually use this analogy and and excuse me if it's a little bit crass or dirty a bit or, but it's really, it's really, you know, it's very, it's very descriptive of, of what people sometimes feel in life. It's a clogged, it's a clogged bathroom. That's Mm. ultimately what it is. You know, when when the bathroom gets clogged, you're you know, the, the dirt is all over the place. I'm gonna I'm gonna Here, I'll make it easier for you. Cleaner. I straight up tell people they're full of shit psychologically and <laughs> like realistically. I mean your your um, body's full of it and your mind's full of all kinds of thoughts that you don't yeah. want there. You know? Yeah. So I'll say it for so you. Exactly that. So exactly <laughs> that. And you know and and 
you kind of have to unclog this blocked toilet. Mm. So you kind of have to clean it all out, take it all out. And only then when you have that clean flowing water going back again, are you ready to start using, you know, using your facilities as normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's typically what life is like sometimes where dirt is all over the place. Craziness is all over the place. You have to empty out this, this garbage that's in your mind that this, Imposter syndrome is is lies that were told to you either by yourself or by others. You have to get rid of that. So you have to be first, before you reach out to me, you have to be actually really ready. You have to sort of be at this point of, of rock bottom or you don't want to reach that rock bottom, but you kind of want to take the step before you get to that point. But you have to be really ready to get rid of everything you've ever believed. And that that's really the step one. The step two and the step three and ultimately step six, I keep things very, very mythology. You know, there's a lot of method behind it. There's very specifics that, that go into it. It's to kind of like relearn everything and find it within yourself because you have all the answers. That's exactly how I did it. I just stopped every, every, every hurdle that I faced. I just stopped, you know, looked at the hurdle. What is it? What's happening? And what's the next step I could take trying to sort of calculate, you know, five to 10 steps ahead. So in a business, whenever you're, you're running your business, you want to stop, look at your business and say, where am I today? And what do I want it to look like in the next five to 10 years? So think of it as five, and step, five, five to 10 steps ahead. And what do, what's this ideal life that I want to live? And what I focus on is that I believe that everybody has the has the i would even say is entitled to happiness and is entitled to this ideal life that they want to see so typically what i help them do is visualize that ideal life a lot of them are already coming with that vision but i help them really visualize it and believe it we work on their happiness levels so first we have to feel good then we work on attitude and character And once we have this attitude and character out of the way, that's that unclogging the toilet in a sense, then we are able to focus on, you know, the business or the professional himself, him or herself, whatever it is, you know, we work depending on who the client is, we, you know, customize our approach and we keep things, everything very limited. So the shortest amount of time you'd ever work with me is three months. And the longest amount of time you'd ever work with me is 18 months. I don't believe in long-term therapy or long-term whatever. You should be able to operate your own life and be that success that you are for your own right. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a push and sometimes you need a little bit of, of like a crutch to help you get there. But if you're doing anything longer than 18 months, you're really wasting your time, in my personal opinion. Hmm. That's a lot to think about, I would say. I think that's good in a lot of sense. I think people need, for sure, someone to be a conversation for them. Like, a lot of times we ruminate on, on by ourselves, you know, if you don't have a partner in life or especially someone that's focused enough to see what's going on with you and ask you the right questions to make you orient in a way where you're actually moving towards the things that you want and not continuously hitting the same walls that you've been hitting, the barriers that you've been hitting, you know, recognizing the patterns that you have, calling them out and perhaps 
moving you with some more tools or, or developing tools that might you you might be taking with you. You know, I'm, I'm. I think I think that's very much in need right now, and I don't even have to ask you know why someone should go with you versus someone else. I think just what we've talked about today is enough to indicate that you've, you're definitely someone who's went through some really really tough things and continues to. I don't know if. You know, you don't have to divulge any numbers, but are you able to make money doing this now since COVID started last year and your business kind of didn't really take off? Are you able to, you know, keep it going? Yeah. And it's really just, it's about figuring things out. It's about being of service. I think this is the most amount I ever tell anybody. Like when I go into what what people call sales call or whatever, I mean, I don't call that a sales call, but whatever. I never share this information. And the reason why I don't do that is because I tell people, get off your laurels and accolades. They're, they're not worth anything. My past and my experience belong to me. And this is just how I got to where I got to means absolutely nothing for you, you know, the person that I potentially would be working with. Yeah. We all have our stories and we all have our unique individual you know, things. Actually, I, I just have to share this because since we spoke, I did a case study. I wanted to actually prove my point. And for, I think actually we spoke in the in middle of our case study because for the past two weeks, I've been trying this out and I was sharing all these, you know, experiences and here's what I've done and here's what I would have done or, you know, whatever. Every single person, every single prospect told me that they got overwhelmed and that it's not, it's, it's just, they're not that kind of person. It's not going to work for them. Every single person, a hundred percent. And then when I would shift it and I would say, okay, let's focus now on you. Everybody felt empowered and everybody felt like they had suddenly some kind of, you know, solution or something that they could try out. So, so you're saying so you I, switched I from, you switched from telling people about what you did to asking people about what they're going through. So, yeah, I mean, we focus deeper on how could, like, what is it exactly that's the problem? Or what is it? How are you feeling? Why do you think? Like, there's a lot of questions, you know? And kind of like I walk myself through in my mind, I just ask a lot of questions about my situation hmm. and try to see what are things that I'm willing to explore or willing to do to get past these things. And that's sort of my approach. It's, that's more my approach is to put them in that mindset of their own problem solving because they already have the answers somewhere deep within. They just need to be empowered to believe that that's even a solution. That's a bigger part, you know, like you said, imposter syndrome, everybody goes through it, yeah. literally everybody. And if there's somebody to tell you says, who cares about who you are right now, right now it's about solving a problem. That's it. So I try to avoid asking myself, am I educated enough? Am I knowledgeable enough? Am I experienced enough? That's irrelevant right now. Right now I need to make money. I need to, I need to feed my family. So how do we do that? Right? Yeah. I, mean, I think another way of saying that is like whatever type of thoughts you're having, if they're not really conducive to what the current situation you're trying to solve or face, you know, they're not really helping you no matter how deep the question really might be. It's something sure. that I don't think you should ignore, especially if it's a repeated pattern. You should definitely look into those things. But if, sure. if uh, at any point in time you find yourself ruminating about things that have nothing to do with what you're doing at this moment in time, 
you know, I, yeah, I agree that it's, that's something that you need to work on to make sure you're not focusing on that more than what you need to do. And I think I could fall guilty right. to that. I definitely ruminate on things for hours on end that don't ever have any mm-hmm. real benefit outside of just, okay, there goes two hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it happens. It certainly does. Well, Yermi, I think I want to close this out with you and I want to ask you if there's anything yeah. you want to share before we close out. Yes. So I, I, you know, I always do this to everybody and I hope I brought value to you and to your audience because value is only subjective. So, you know, it depends on how you choose to see. Well, you brought value to me. So that's Um, good enough. (laughs) Yeah. But, but as a, as another value, um, I do hold once a, once a month, I have a free, a free workshop or, well, not a workshop, sorry. It's a webinar Mm. round table call it the work of happiness. Okay. The best way to reach out to me about that is through LinkedIn or any other social media. My name is there. It's easier to reach out to me that way. Just to let, let's start with just being happy. Like let's share a smile (laughs) and that's what it's about. And I think that is the most valuable thing right now today because of all, you know, the lockdowns and the, and everything, there was such a big disconnect lately and that human connection is something we all crave. So let's just share a smile. Let's be happy. I'm opening up these things, you know, for free to people. So anybody who wants to join, just reach out to me and I'll let you know when's the next webinar. So Perfect. And we'll, we'll link your LinkedIn profile in the show notes here. So if anybody wants to, they can certainly click over. And Yermi's very open. He responds to messages fairly quickly. So you know, don't hesitate to reach out and get your own experience with this guy. It's definitely worth it. Yermi, thank you again for being here with me, man. It's been a great, uh, I don't even know how long we've been talking, but it's been good. Uh, And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. And of course, if there's anything I can do to help you, you know where to find me. So thank you so much. Same thing. Same thing. Thank you so much. See you soon. Thank you for checking out the show. I really appreciate your time. And I can't wait to hear from you. If you want to give me any feedback or want to get in touch, know someone that I should put on the show, reach out to me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you are online, you bet you can find me there. Just search for The Real Abinov. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.